Hello and welcome to the Political Notebook Podcast. I'm Billy Robb. I'm a high school teacher. And I'm Robert Robb, editorial columnist for the Arizona Republic and Billy's dad. This is a ballot initiative edition of the Political Notebook. We're not going to talk about all the ballot initiatives today, but we will talk about Invest in Ed, the education ballot initiative that was filed yesterday, Thursday. And before I before we get into it, uh, I think my mentality about it was as as someone who's a part of Red Fred from the very beginning, kind of got disillusioned around the time of the uh, of the vote, uh, and the and the initiative to me seemed like it was uh, less uh, bipartisan and nonpartisan than the spirit of Red Fred when it initially started. When when Red Fred initially started, the spirit what everyone felt was everyone's in this together. This is not really about politics. It's just about securing the funding. And uh, for me personally. My experience since then has been has been less about that and more about uh, other things. And uh, the initiative that was filed, my biggest problem with it is it it was done without um, input uh, from other uh, political persuasion besides progressive uh, progressive people. Uh, but it has been filed. Uh, it is being sold as a as a red for red uh, initiative. Um, they claim seven two hundred and seventy thousand signatures, um, but it's not yet on the ballot. So, first question here, Dad: uh, What is the steps or the process uh, to it? This from the from the signature process to it actually getting on the ballot to where we're going to vote. Uh, the first thing that's done for all initiative or referenda um, petition gathering is that the Secretary of State. Um, takes a sample of the signatures, uh, sends them out to the county recorders to verify them. Uh, The specifics in statute escape me, but um, if it comes back with a validity rate of something over 100%, um, then the Secretary of State certifies it for the ballot. If it comes in with a validity rate of something su- substantially less than that, and I forget the exact figure, but let's say something like 95%, then the Secretary of State says that it's not um, validated for the ballot. If it's somewhere in between, uh, then there is a uh, government-paid and administered uh, count of all the signatures. If it is verified, opponents have a chance to challenge that decision in court. If it is found to fall short, supporters have the opportunity to challenge that in court. Uh, And one thing I think we can be certain with this particular ballot measure uh, is that opponents will make every uh, inquiry uh, to find out whether it can be disqualified from the ballot um, rather than be validated for it, and is that is that just a typical opposition tactic? Is to challenge the the signatures, try to slow it down, or is that something particular about this well, initiative? It, it's not an inexpensive undertaking. So, um, what opposition groups that have money will do 
is first of all sort of take their own sample and their own inspection of um, the petitions to see whether uh, it's felt that there are vulnerabilities. Um, but uh, even the cost of lawyers for a challenge is substantially less than the enormous advertising campaign that will be conducted against this particular proposition if it gets on the ballot. So even if the opponents believe that the chances are slim, uh, that they can challenge the validity of the signatures in court, if they believe there is any chance whatsoever, um, my guess is that they will make that investment. There is a comfortable cushion um, mm-hmm. So there is a chance. There was. Uh, there they be. needed one hundred and fifty thousand. They they reported two hundred and seventy thousand. So that cushion is there. Yeah, it's it's a substantial cushion, and if the sample check uh, comes in really really high, uh, there's a chance that there would not be a legal challenge. And is that no matter what? Does that all get wrapped up before uh, the deadline to get on the? On the actual ballot for yes, there there is a uh, deadline uh, for filing, preparing the ballot, uh, and uh, filing um, statements for the publicity pamphlet, both but, both pro and con. So, so is, there, it, is there any chance that the legal that the legal battles will keep it from getting on the ballot? Just that, or is there a requirement that those legal battles have to be ended before the, that time? Yeah, the the, the courts do not allow a delay in litigation to preclude something getting to the ballot. Now, that means oftentimes legal decisions are made in haste um, and without a chance to consider all the evidence. But the courts have never said, we don't have time to complete our part of the process, therefore it's not going to be on the ballot. Okay, so let's talk about the ballot initiative itself. Um, It proposes uh, to increase... uh, income taxes on only certain income brackets. Um, that's what's getting those attention now, but there's also a couple different elements to it. Um, more, uh, there was one that was uh, originally to protect uh, collective negotiation, but that got softened. Um, and now I think it's, it's uh, with any contracts, you have to recommend or, or get advice from, uh, from people. And also there's a, a provision in it that extends the definition of a teacher, which could have um, other, uh, other consequences. So let's talk about that first one. Who is, uh, who is being taxed um, and, and what might be the, the actual practical impact of that on the state of Arizona? The uh, top rate of income, personal income tax uh, in Arizona would be essentially doubled. The top rate now is a little over 4.5%. The top rate under this initiative would become 9%, and and that would give Arizona the fifth highest personal uh, income tax rate um, in the country, not usually the kind of company that we keep or or, uh, seek to keep. Uh, it would apply um, not that very top rate, but an increase would occur uh, for those individuals making over $250,000 a year and uh, joint filers making over 500000 And uh, there's <clears throat> the kind of counter arguments against it. I mean, the arguments for it is uh, the rich have 
money that needs to be uh, contributed more than it is now. You hear people saying that they're not paying their, uh, their fair share because um, maybe disproportionately the sales tax falls on uh, lower income earners. What's the counter argument that you've heard or that you think about, uh, about those? There's um, three uh, key arguments. Um, the first is that it's unlikely to raise the money that it's purported to raise. Uh, it is purported to raise $690 million a year. And uh, if it qualifies, I will be doing more research on this particular point. Um, my uh, guess is it doesn't raise anywhere near that um, because an awful lot of that income uh, undoubtedly comes from business owners uh, who uh, choose to, rather than pay a corporate income tax, to have the profits be attributed to them and to pay taxes on it as uh, part of a personal income tax. There isn't an increase in the initiative um, to the corporate income tax, which is just a little under 5%. Um, so small business owners can easily avoid paying the tax simply by reincorporating from a subchapter S or some other um, form of commercial organization where the profits flow to the owners and are paid in the personal income tax rate. Uh, and instead become a standard, what's known as a C-Corp, uh, and pay the lower corporate rate. Uh -huh. so, so that is a flaw <clears throat> in the initiative that I think it will ultimately be found uh, will mean that it will produce substantially less money uh, than proposed. There is also, uh, many of us believe, and I ardently believe this, a negative correlation nationally between income taxes and economic growth. Uh, Arizona um, is a strong economic performer, particularly the Phoenix metropolitan area, and it's believed that this will uh, damage our ability to continue to grow economically. The third flaw in it is that it's a highly inconsistent source of income for teacher salaries. Uh, what rich people make, make and what they pay is highly volatile. So if you're looking for a sustainable way to increase funding uh, for teacher salaries, the last thing you would choose is highly volatile uh, income uh, by very high uh, income earners. Yeah, and that's those are two critiques that they made of, of Ducey's plan uh, and the legislative plan that, that emerged is that it uh, is not sustainable and that it relies on rosy economic pr uh, forecasts. And it seems like this one is, is kind of the same thing. You're, you're, you're taxing the rich, hoping that they keep doing well. Uh, and, and stay in Arizona. And stay in Arizona. And, and stay with forms of corporate organization that subject yep. them to this much higher tax rate. Yeah. Well, what about the part that, and you've written about this before in your, in your column, uh, but what about what consequences might it have by redefining the definition of a teacher in, uh, in state law? The money that this would raise is designated to go into a fund that's called the Classroom Site Fund. Um, that fund currently receives 
um, a share of the money from the Prop 301 um, education sales tax. 60% of that fund has to be used for teacher salaries. This initiative expands the definition of a teacher not only for the new pot of money that the income tax increase would raise, but for the existing part of money um, that uh, currently goes to teacher salaries. So if you massively expand the eligible recipients, um, the first thing that's going to happen is that teachers are going to get less from the existing pot of money. So the question is, will they get enough more uh, from the new pot of money uh, to make a substantial difference? And that obviously depends upon how much money is in the new pot of money. Right. Um, so uh, if those of us who believe it's likely to produce substantially less uh, than projected turn out to be correct, uh, there's a chance that the primary beneficiaries of this initiative won't be classroom teachers. It will be the other support personnel uh, who will get a share of the existing pot, not just a share of the new pot. All right. So everyone's kind of anticipating here a you know, pretty fierce campaign, uh, back and forth, money being spent on both sides. What do you, what do you predict in terms of... Uh, the outcome, how viable is this if it gets on the ballot uh, to being passed? It, it is inconceivable to me that Arizona will choose to have the fifth highest personal income tax rate in the country. That just defies um, everything I know and understand about uh, the Arizona political landscape. Now, on the other hand, there is strong public support uh, for increased funding uh, for K-12 education. Uh, and I presume that this tested well in the polls, or uh, this wouldn't have been the option chosen. I will say that it is not at all infrequent uh, for a tax increase proposal to initially have broad support and end up getting defeated um, substantially. That occurred in 2012 when there was initiative just to extend the already existing temporary sales tax. Uh, it began with support well in north of 60 percent and after a campaign it was defeated with the no side getting well over 60 percent. I would be surprised if that wasn't what happens here uh, but uh, politics are made new uh, every election, and yeah. there's been a lot in politics these days that have ended up surprising yeah. me. Yeah, this is a this is a wild time in politics, and seems very unpredictable. So, um, and and the uh, the invest in ed crew and the uh, and the red Fred leaders do seem very good at at organizing and uh, getting getting messages getting messages uh, across in their own uh, in their own formats. So what will surely be a heated contest coming up, um, that's the Invest in Ed. We will um, spend some more time on the other ballot initiatives and, and the, the candidates and the, and the issues as the campaign season rolls on. 
Uh, this has been the Political Notebook podcast. Uh, if you want to interact with us, um, my dad doesn't tweet very much, but um, my Twitter handle is at BillyRob33. You can also email us uh, at robpodcast at gmail.com. That's R-O-B-B podcast at gmail.com. You can subscribe to us on iTunes. Uh, that's Apple Podcasts or wherever uh, you listen to podcasts. Thanks.